Okay, uh, we're joined uh, by Neve Harrigan, uh, head of the Department of Sociology in UCC, and journalist uh, Eamon Lane to go through the, the Sunday papers. You're both very welcome, guys. Um, let's start with that Nazi uh, salute uh, story, Neve. It's causing you know quite a controversy across the way. It's it's quite an innocent photograph. I mean, this is 1933. And I think at that stage, the Nazi salute was kind of a sort of... A yeah, it, it was almost part of popular culture, I think, uh, in yeah. some ways, coming across. I mean, the Buckingham Palace has, has said they're disappointed, which is Buckingham Palace speak for we're absolutely furious. Livid, yeah. Um, and there is speculation about who was behind the camera and who was kind of encouraging them for their wave, Maria, given the Father Ted defence we were talking about earlier. Um, and it, it seems the king was, was it, it, behind the camera, It would appear that the it? king was behind the, the camera and, and, and uh, the, well, there's speculation that it could be George, who subsequently became king, who was actually oh, behind yeah, sorry, the camera. King. Yeah, and sorry. Edward VIII, who was kind of encouraging the salute. And I suppose it's interesting if you look, apart from the kind of shock horror coverage, if you look at some of the more in-depth discussion of it, what it does raise again is speculation about Edward VIII and his uh, sympathies mm. with the Nazi regime. It, it's known, I think, that he had a meeting in 1937 and there was also some speculation that within the, the broader plans of what would happen if, if uh, you know, Britain was successfully mm. invaded, that perhaps he would have been reinstated. And that because there was some he, he abdicated to, to marry Wallace Simpson, basically. Indeed, and, mm. and there's some speculation that that may actually be the source of this particular piece of home footage, that it was in Wallace Simpson's uh, uh, are, you know, her belongings, which were bought by Mohammed. So uh, even Fayed. whatever, 70 years later, she's still causing she's still anguish. Doing, and indeed, because of the Mohammed Al Fayed and Princess Diana link, all the uh, troublesome women in the royal family's history seem to be but, coming back to bite them at once, perhaps. I mean, even this, like, it is a storm in a teacup, this, isn't it? I mean, you know, even, even if it's true about, you know, Edward having uh, Nazi sympathies at the time, whatever. I mean, the idea that it would have had any impact at all. I mean, it, it, the government were calling the shots. And once Britain had gone to war with Germany... Oh, I mean, totally, yeah, yeah. It wouldn't have changed anything. No, not it? at all, no. I mean, I, I remember there was a lot of people... Uh, there's a lot of sneaking regard or curiosity about, let's say, curiosity about the Nazis... Uh, among the English aristocracy, like Lord Londonderry had meetings. There's a mm-hmm. History Ireland had an interesting article about this recently. They felt that a deal could be done, that the greater threat was the Soviet Union, which was on the rise, very much on the rise. And, um, and, and elements in the Conservative Party, Neville Chamberlain was a, a peaser now, he wouldn't be anything close to being a Nazi sympathiser, but felt that we could work with them. But there were elements that were appeasing. You remember when Bryce had revisited famously depicted by Evelyn Waugh, and it's based on fact. Uh, uh, so in that context, as well as, uh, as you said, people would see it in cinema and let's do a Nazi salute. I mean, I do think it's an amazing story, though, as a media story. When I saw him, I thought, this is made up. Because... Like, can you imagine finding that? I mean, it's I know anything to do with the royals and the queen, who's now about reaching sainthood in her very, very advanced dotage, uh, and to produce something for her next Nazi salute. It is extraordinary. And I mean, Buckingham Palace are kept kept busy. Uh, spokespeople only a week ago, which got there was a defence, which got very little uh, coverage, really, of Prince Philip telling a photographer to hurry up and take take the effing photo when he was with. Um, D-Day veterans. I mean, mm. uh, and then Buckingham Palace said, we don't comment on these matters. <laughs> I mean, so they do it's quite an active um, press. I think okay. part of the problem might be that there is historically quite close 
links, as in you know, family links between uh, the German mm. aristocracy. They were cousins. They are. I mean, extraordinary when you think back that the you had Kaiser and the, the Tsar, Kaiser and the Tsar, and the King, and the were, king all were all first cousins. cousins. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and I think the wasn't the, the the King in Romania? I think was the second cousin. Yeah, or something all, like that all time, Queen so. Victoria's eleven children mm. married into the royal dynasties of Europe. Yeah. So, um, but in in a sense, I think it, it perhaps this the kind of rebranding that the, the royal family went through in the UK in, in around I think it was nineteen seventeen where they changed their name to the House yeah. of Windsor and all that. It brings all of these issues back up and it's kind of interesting in the context of the bigger debates at the moment about the European Union and Germany's role and it, you know it, it's amazing how a, a lot of those memories are have been reignited yeah. recently and I think yeah. this story is interesting in that context of the kind of German dominance yeah. in Europe once again. The Europeans do say, I mean, Germans say for, for sure but Europeans from other countries do say the British are obsessed with World War uh, to and particularly with the Nazis, and the Nazis have a kind of pornographic appeal. You know, someone said if you put a swastika on a magazine cover, have you ever heard this about like a pet dog, a swastika, or someone who's topless, sails rise? I mean, swastika has that. Now, I, I, I don't know what to compare that the to. Secret, the secret of my success by Eamon Dunleavy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was actually John Waters said to me about when I became editor of McGill, he said that he used to put Hawhey on the cover of McGill because it just sold more copies. Hawhey was a draw. And he compared it to Nazis and a few other things. Not that we're comparing not Charles no, to Nazis. But just as a draw. So I don't, I don't know, is it an unhealthy preoccupation? I would read The Telegraph more regularly than many Irish people, I think. And it just drives him mad how much World War Two nostalgia, the Blitz, but Do you not Nazis. think it's because it's of all the wars, it's the one where there was a kind of clear... clear clash good, between good, good versus, versus evil, evil totally, yeah. much more so than World mm. War I and therefore it is, and particularly the Battle of Britain and, yeah. you know, it's these very clear cut moments and to be fair to the British royal family during the Blitz they did I mean they, they didn't move out of Buckingham Palace which they could have done they I yeah. mean, they, they sort of rallied I mean they were a key yeah. rallying point for, for the British nation. never mind the royal family I mean let's t- uh, talk about Ireland I was only uh, last weekend with some Americans who are neighbours just they're just staying on working in Afghanistan it's a long story but they were asking about Ireland in World War Two, and they were genuinely gobsmacked that in the capital of Ireland Dublin there's no memorial to the suffering of the Allies or the heroics but there is one in St. Stephen's Green to the suffering of the Germans in the immediate aftermath of World War Two, 1946 you know because of our long centuries-old battle with England, it is a bit strange, you know, when people listen to Lord Haw on the radio and De Valera signed the Book of Condolences for Adolf Hitler. I don't know what he was thinking of that morning when he got up. Um, and I'm not saying for a moment that we were Nazi sympathisers, but... Well, we weren't. Like, but, but did, I mean, it was benevolent no, neutrality well, towards... yeah, to, you know, it's... Quite, it's well, it's, it's a very... very I, 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 oh, I get a little bit antsy when people talk about, you know, the, and I'm not suggesting you're doing this, about our shame during World War II. Mm. It was an incredibly complex situation. And... There is a very good chance we would have had a second civil war if we had entered. The no, second, I agree, and, and, we've, and we've a right so, to stay out. You know, yeah. you, you know, absolutely, and it being neutral means you can stay out. And we come through, you know, the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties. No, it's just in the broader scheme of things. Like I just remember, just to finish on this, I was in America uh, as a diplomat, and Americans have written a brought up bombing of the Enniskillen War Memorial, a war ceremony, and how amazingly uh, outrageous that was because the Americans and the Europeans had stood against. You know the Nazis yeah. and where we were. Anyway, look, it's just it's just a piece of news. Couple, like couple it's more of texts, like couple of texts coming through in this. Uh, some listener says quite rightly the England football team all did the Nazi salute in 1938. Mm. Couldn't call mm. all them Nazi sympathisers. Absolutely. Uh, another listener says the Queen's royal wave does start as a sort of salute and then tilts to the side. So maybe it was just unfortunate timing and an innocent wave. I look. I think if it, you know if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's it's a duck. <laughs> yeah, probably Interesting is one. piece in the Sunday Times, which I think probably sums it up better, mm. uh, Neve by. 
by and- Andrew Roberts where he, he basically says it was kind of taking the mick a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, I suppose which, if we look at the kind of cultural history of that period, you know, there was these images coming mm. back from Germany about, you know, the activities of the Nazis. So there was been a certain amount of mimicking. And also in the way that, for instance, today, if you look at North Korea and the way some of those, you know... Yeah. Are, and it was 1933. They had just it, come to they power. They had just come to power. So. And, and nobody could have known really what it uh, what it was to become. So mm. in, in that sense, I think, uh, you know, it, it, it is a storm and a teacup and I, I don't think the, t- yeah, the Queen no, should lose yeah. too many nights sleep over this particular story. Exactly. OK, let's um, move back home. Uh, quite a bit of coverage, uh, Eamon, as you would expect, uh, about the, the launch of the Social Democrats uh, last week. Michael Brennan writing about in the Sunday Business Post. Uh, Kevin Myers um, in the Sunday Times. Pat Rabbit in the, in the Sunday Business Post as well. Um, what do you make? Is there a is there a room? Is there a gap in the market for for this uh, left to centre party? Um, is there a market in the gap? It's, I think I think there is. Yeah, I I, I think um, uh, at first I was would be sceptical. The same way I'd be sceptical of Shane Ross and his independents who don't seem to have a policy other than if we group together as a group we have more power than as individuals. But on this occasion, I think for play to Stephen Donnelly and the others, they do have a set of beliefs, which are broadly speaking, social democratic stroke Labour, uh, not Labour left, if you like. And and why not? Um, why not offer their, their their package and their stall? Like, like I agree to some extent with Pat Rabbit in the Business Post. It's true that we're going to have um, a plethora of groups all competing and in the confusion and the mudslinging of political discourse. I don't know where what government we're going to end up for. Nevertheless, competition works. It's good to have three shops to go into rather than one. I'm giving, replying a free market. You are. I can't, I can't I always, believe you brought free market no, ideology into no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going Michael O'Leary on this. Competition works. What about the law of diminishing com- uh, returns? <laughs> I'll come to that in a minute. Competition also makes people perform better. And I have a big problem with, for example, Fine Gael uh, and some of the other parties, but particularly Fine Gael because they've got so many people in the jaw, TD. We ne- TDs in the jaw, We never hear them speak from one end of the year to the next. There's no particular ideas. Uh, we hoped for great things to do with support for small business culture and a piece I wrote during the week about rural Ireland which really needs help and tax breaks and that. This and is a piece you wrote they, for the Independent. Like, did, during the yeah, week. yeah, yeah. Uh, Michelle Mulhern and Mary Mitchell O'Connor brought this up at a Fine Gael parliamentary meeting and they were swatted away and Michael Noonan, Alison, the Minister for the Environment will handle that. So that's how ineffective that is. So why not have a sharp and competitive and strongly defined thing on the, on okay. the website on uh, the landscape Niamh, I'm guessing uh, and I don't want to in any way put words in your mouth but I'm guessing that what they were saying about you know a kind of a recreating a kind of a, a Nordic model here I'm guessing that's something that probably would appeal to you it would appeal to a lot of people I think. Yeah I mean I have to say I do think there's a market in the gap and I, I think the, the, the market they'll be going after is particularly the Labour uh, voter and aspects of, of the Labour vote Catherine Murphy has a op-ed piece in the Sunday Times today clarifying some elements of the uh, Social Democrats' kind of programme because when they came out and they said they were aping the, or they were going for the, the Nordic model I mean uh, obviously a number of people came out and said well does that obviously mean we're all going to pay more tax and in fairness to her while kind of I suppose not fully embracing it she does pretty much admit that and uh, that but they, we they, will don't be they paying. bottle it on a key area I have to say my heart sank when I was at the press conference and they started talking about water charges and we're going to abolish water yeah. charges and we're going to abolish metering and I thought you know if you want a Nordic model 
you know, you got to uh, no, uh, like there's water charges <laughs> in, in, in a number of the commentators in the, in, in the papers today make the point that uh, a number of the Nordic countries have the highest water charges yeah. in the world. I they think also Norway have something like three Stephen, points Stephen Collins making this point yesterday uh, in the Irish Times. They also have way, way higher tax on lower earners than they we do, do in Ireland. They do. And the, 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 there's a kind of a myth about high tax in, in the Nordic model. They have it's pretty much the same levels of tax as we have for middle and high earners, mm-hmm. but it's low earners that but, pay a lot more tax. But I, I think, Shane, where they potentially could clean up is it, the way, and I, I think it's particularly around the kind of Joan Burton era, being honest, in Labour, where Joan has been a, a champion of what many would consider quite you know, harsh neoliberal reforms of the welfare system, particularly if you look at the uh, changes around lone parents and so-called job activation. Mm, I'd say she disputes the description neoliberal. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, maybe she would, but um, if if you look at you know the, the way in which lone parents have featured in austerity programs all across Europe, which is largely driven by neoliberal yeah, ideology. But I do think that for for many people who are very disappointed by that mm. and by Labour's championing of those type of policies uh, Social Democrats are certainly going to fill a gap for them. Mm. There would certainly be a threat for, to, to the Labour Party whom I really feel sorry for in a sense because um, that the poll today which we're, we're not discussing but it is connected uh, they're flat lining We're not uh, not discussing no, no, I, I, no, I didn't, <laughs> There's I didn't no prohibition No I didn't say any conspiratorial <laughs> I knew you'd pop on that you know, <laughs> We're not discussing today No there was a public are under, uh, under attack from Sinn Féin What the are left. they at in that poll? In the, the I think about 8% you know yeah. Yeah. But um so, it, so, so, so yeah, the Labour Party, in many ways, is a middle-class liberal party in Ireland. That's that's part of its problem. I don't think it recognises that. It thinks it's a, a big working-class trade union Labour Party, like it is in Britain. But of course, in Britain also, it's become a kind of middle-class liberal party. So, middle-class liberals will go to. He, they'll be picked off a bit. They um, I think they will. They will. I mean, I, I, I give. I, I know to be a little bit alone. Parents. I think in other regards, though, Burton's been quite brave in facing up to the fact that well, maybe the boom years created a situation by which, which still exists, by which it's better for people to be on some part of the welfare system. Ah, rather than well, look, there's we, specific no, no. groups. I mean, lone parents we, let, have been not, hit eight not, times. Let's not debate I, I did, that I did, issue. I did, I did um, exempt them. I, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, the the Irish water issue. To come back to that. A good editorial, I thought, in the Sunday Times on Excellent. this yeah. uh, today. Just give us the gist of, of what they're saying in the editorial. Well, I, 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 the editorial sums it up in a muscular prose. Uh, uh, everything that's wrong. We're basically, the, we're in the scenario, and this is where I would give a little bit of a let off to the Social Democrats on that particular issue. I think generally water taxes, they have to pay if they're Social Democratic model. But in this case, they may feel this is such a mess because what we have no, is... That's not what they feel. They feel we're going to win votes by saying we're okay, going to abolish well, Irish water. I, I, I'm going to give them a yeah, bit of leniency yeah. on that because it is such a mess and I'd be inclined not to pay even though I have signed up and all the rest of it. It's just, it's just a mess. It's the worst of both worlds. We have half people, half the population signed up, the other half not doing so. Uh, it's going to cost more more money. And I mean, it's an important linkage to a story in the Sunday Independent today about how much more money has been must, must be borrowed to put into this mm-hmm. this monster. And so there's no penalties for those who are not paying. They get, well, this, this is the key point of the Sunday their, Times editorial. They're basically saying that those people who have paid must be feeling like mugs now yeah. because yeah. there's no penalties and, at all and for those who have And the issue is of the 46% who have paid, will they be willing to pay yeah. again if they yeah. feel other people on the street haven't paid exactly. and have gone yeah. away with it? And, and the flip side is, though, is that are the government willing at any level to, to put a muscle into the issue yeah. given the pretty... I mean, one has to say, if you look at all the whole... You know, Irish austerity protest response. The the single biggest moment for anti-austerity protest in Ireland was, you know, late 
October, early November 2014, where we did see, you know, six figures mm. of people on mm. the streets mm. protesting about water. And that did. And despite, you know, the 100 euro grant and, you know, that that didn't work. You know, mm. there was real anger there. And, and, you know, that's changed now. And you have perhaps a more polarized mm. uh, movement. But nevertheless, th- that movement has been quite successful, I think. But you, can't bring in, you can't bring in a new tax and it is like our, a new charge. Without having some kind of stick as well, if yeah, people of course. Don't pay it. I mean, you took away the stick, Shane. Maybe you can if you want to be re-elected. but will it? I mean, does like the tax does it become a Kelly for rescuing the mess of the presentation, which was done by Fine Gael? Actually, let, let, let's not blame political parties here, but it was a mess. Everything and the, the news, the stories about bonuses and PR contracts. So he he took hold of it, but then suddenly there was a big let off and the let off was that actually if you don't pay there's no penalty you can keep going on and and I think that's a lot of the blame for what we're in the scenario we're now in which is kind of a bit a giant let off and we're back to the situation uh, which we were at the start of the property tax you might remember a lot of people feeling well there's no penalty uh, but then they got tough well then the revenue got involved so, yeah, well, so what I don't understand is just to get mm-hmm. your you're absolutely right 100,000 people but then it didn't seem to kind of dissipate and that was the moment when they should have moved the government and the but it was the interesting thing about the household charge it was always being made clear that that was an interim measure do you know what I mean and that yeah. they were going to move on to the property tax which was going to be collected in a different way but <laughs> it looks like we're stuck with Irish water yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing interim about I mean, them at the yeah. moment mm-hmm. and it's one would only I mean and in some ways it's the kind of conclusion of, of well, the Sunday Times stuck, stuck with Irish water I mean there is an argument that says we do actually we did need a state utility I mean the local authorities were not doing a good enough job on, on our, our water I think that's beyond well, I, I, yeah I mean there, there's varying experiences though I think around the country I mean some local authorities are, are better at, than others at dealing with water but you know if you look at the, the kind of conclusion that's, that the is arrived at in the Sunday Times piece is really that after the next pr- election perhaps somebody will start again perhaps with a rebranding of yeah. Irish Water it's and just, a reorganisation yeah. yeah. So much money has gone in and then the interest rates I mean you can see this on the independent story there like we're talking about hundreds of million it, just, it may just become this white elephant I mean I'm amazed it's not affecting the government more in terms of popularity mm. and uh, I mean there's one quote I just leave it well there are 24% in the polls and Labour are at 8% so yeah well maybe there exactly but, yeah. but it still hasn't I mean, but it's from Barry Cowan actually Fianna Fáil in fairness he's been very forceful on this uh, consistently true that what we are left with now is the worst of all worlds of all worlds, water meters without water conservation, water charges without water investment, and a water company without water customers. Full stop. Okay. And I mean, God. Okay, Uh, you're listening to uh, The Sunday Show uh, at the uh, new time of uh, between 10 and 12 every Sunday morning. Uh, Joining us in studio in the next hour or so, uh, Lucinda Creighton will be popping in talking about Renew and other matters. Liz O'Donnell on her role with the Road Safety Authority and Dr. Rona Mahoney on our maternity services and that issue of the uh, Eighth Amendment. Uh, but Neve Harrigan and uh, Eamon Delaney are staying with us. We're going to be looking more through the Sunday papers after this short break. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, Neve Harrigan and Eamon Delaney are still with us. We're going through the Sunday papers. Interesting piece, Eamon, I thought, in the Sunday Times. Uh, I mean, a lot of focus on Greece and Cyprus and the fallout and so, so on. But uh, Angela Merkel, no, the most powerful politician in Europe, beyond doubt, mm. Also somewhat damaged by it. Just uh, the headline in that Yeah, piece. rebels uh, push headmistress uh, Merkel closer to the door. This is in the Sunday Times. Yeah, suggesting that maybe 
she's on on the way out is probably stretching it but the, yeah. well, the, the beginning the, of the end maybe yeah or, well certainly cracks in her reputation which was yeah. absolutely uh, I mean before the great crisis a few months ago was, was top notch you know she's been uh, criticised in Germany though because some people saying she went too far and gave the Greeks too yeah. much and others saying you know she's embarrassed us in front of the rest of Europe and they, she pushed the it Greeks it seems to have been hard. a lose-lose yeah, outcome yeah. for Merkel and one of the things that it seems to have done is this um, tension within the party between herself and Wolfgang Schauble mm. which is this long standing mm. you know we kind of have differing views but we hang together type thing yeah. seems to be she, she beat him for the leadership, I think. She did, she? yeah. And but they, they had posters in Germany where they, they put the two of them on the posters together saying, you know, we, we, we disagree about some things, but ultimately mm, we're both on the same yeah. side. And it would appear now that they're not as much on the same side as they were. Oh. And of course, there are, I mean, there would be, it would appear those within Germany who, who also feel, as, as of course is a much wider view across Europe, that this was a pretty harsh yeah. uh, deal for Greece. But also, of course, there is the, the German right within the um, CDU who are, are most unhappy about this. Um, but one would have to wonder, I mean, are talks of, of Merkel's exit or demise a bit... Yeah, I would you know, have yeah, I mean, yeah. she is one to be cookie and has yeah. been the ultimate survivor. Um, I have to say, though, I, I, you know, I, I think her... I suppose essentially her East German background, I, I feel myself, has had a massive influence on her mode of uh, leading, particularly as she, yeah. the German Chancellor role has become more important in terms of leadership of Europe. Because if, if you look historically at the role of Germany in Europe, it was very much reflected by, I suppose, the West German kind of process of reflection that went on for 40 years after the war. And then essentially, I think Merkel coming much more from an Eastern European background, has, having not been through that, you, you can see that, I think, in her yeah. approach to leadership. And I'm not sure Europe is the better for it, quite frankly. Mm. Um, uh, and, and therefore, I personally wouldn't be that sorry to see her go. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, not sure about that. I, 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 that's an interesting uh, perspective, all right. And also the one that she was uh, grown up in a, a communist uh, era. So there's some like slightly totalitarian quality, although she resisted it, uh, would kind of permeate. Uh, I, th- I think, you see, more than these personalities, uh, it's much more that we've now come to the past where the um, the poor fix of Europe has been revealed. The Germans have used, as I said, they've used the EU to hide their power. The French used the EU to hide their weakness. This was the uh, rather glib summary yeah. of the EU. Conor Brady ago. takes a different view in the Sunday Times. Well, on his piece is very good, but his piece is an absolute reminder that what the Greeks got was a massive amount of. Uh, well, he actually, no, he summarised it perfectly. Which is just what I'm about to say, which is that they, they, the, the European model, even though uh, money was been going down the drain in many places, not just with Greece but other places, it, it worked for Germany when Germany was. There was no economic crisis. Everyone was happy. But now that we've been in many years of recession now internationally and in Europe, uh, these fault lines have been revealed. And many Germans would also feel, do we really need Germany anymore? We've got over our post I don't know if you saw Ashoka Modi has, has proposed that perhaps rather than Greece exiting the euro that the best thing for the euro right now would be if Germany exits the euro because the the euro has been distorted it's only as weak as its strongest link yes exactly it's been distorted by uh, by the the, and if the Germans return to the mark but again I I have to say uh, you know I I think again if we look at Conor Brady's piece you know he's referring back he starts from 1981 and talks about you know what Greece has got what Europe did for Greece since 1981 but again 
you know, Germany's vision of its role in Europe was completely different at that point. And, and what I think the crisis has exposed more than anything else is the democratic deficit right at the top of Europe, because none of us voted for Angela Merkel. Do you know what I mean? And and the the the, the positions in Europe that we have the capacity to vote for really have become entirely sideline and meaningless but, in this crisis. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I, I, none of us voted for all this money to be given to Greece either. And for good to go, I mean, Brady's piece maps out how utterly unreformed it was. They were living in no, a, but a, 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 and like, ideally, if if we look at how politics and economics interact, we should have a capacity to have some democratic say well, no, in, in how I'm, Europe I'm is run. We don't vote for the commissioners. Mm. We don't vote for Draghi. I, I, I but the bit that agree. we vote for is powerless. <laughs> but, so, but that's the European model. I mean, well, maybe but it's the European maybe, model is well, we flawed. Voted for, and I think we voted for Michael Noonan as as minister for finance, and apparently he is quite influential in those Ecofin. Yeah, the council ministers. I mean, look, we've been around this. A thousand times, I mean, I, I, the council of ministers decide. I mean, I wrote this you know, in my book when I, was a, when I first worked on European political cooperation. I couldn't believe uh, the, how little power the governments have power. The council of ministers, the European Parliament, still has effectively none. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then the European Commission. We don't know who these people are. And that's what's fueling the British debate. But that's the model we have. And I think the Germans went along with this because it suited them. And now it's But it's interesting revealed. if you look at one of Schauble's conclusions after what's happened is that what we really need is further European integration uh, into a yeah. model which seems increasingly top down and increasingly lacking spaces where the smaller groups and the smaller also, entities can yeah, make their... And it's also increasingly right of centre. That wouldn't be a problem to many of us, but... It, it, I, uh, problem no, to me. No, yeah, yeah it would, it would, no, but it is. If you look at the Finnish, you see, people don't ever. That's the other thing that that is about Europe, which is flawed, is that like, how are you going to get like the Finns? I don't know. They're all like Christian Democrat, a variety. Suddenly, with former Trotskyites in Greece, it just. I'm amazed it's all hanging. Well, is, is that not? It's not really is that yeah, not Conor Brady's? Is that not the other point he makes? That you know what. Europe generally does muddle through and actually that mightn't be such a bad thing that it muddles through. I mean, George Orr being better oh, yeah. than World War, well, I mean, the old it, adage Brady's goes. concluding point is absolutely valid. As a political group, it has ensured peace in this war-wracked continent and, you know, I, I'm sure you wouldn't have any problem with the social, uh, you know, the liberal norms mm-hmm. have come out of it. They've certainly made us change our laws in many regards. So that, but that was the argument back with John Major and then Bridget was he said a wider Europe, not a deeper one. You see, as a group, but don't as you a club, think, Eamon, that the muddling through has become much less successful? And, well, and I mean, it, it's really interesting, actually, if you look at that piece on on Merkel, which is actually by Daniel Johnson. One of the things he highlights, and I think it's quite perceptive, is the way that Merkel would not have been afraid of Greece five years ago in the way in which she's afraid of Greece yeah, today, well, and that's because the muddling through isn't really working. Yeah, exactly. it's an interesting piece by um, by Dan O'Brien, yeah. the Sunday Independent, as well, basically saying that if we think Greece is bad, we really will have problems if we get to Italy. Yeah, and that's what we're yeah, really when he read that, it was like, thanks, Dan, you really made my weekend. You know. <laughs> Okay. Well, listen, we've so look very quickly. Go very on. quickly, very quickly. In fairness to Mer- not just Merkel, but the whole European establishment, we have a changed situation in the world now with Russia. Like that, she speaks Russian. Putin speaks German. They've spoken to each other. She sees this. They so don't that, get on, though, do they? Yeah. No, they don't. But I mean, the point uh, being, uh, the point being that that Greeks have been playing footsie with the yeah, Russians, and but it's a different also situation. Ukraine. I mean, I the Germans have been quite happy to hand over but chunks so of twine all. to Ukraine, despite the corruption, which also is in Greece, but which they find find oh, much okay. Well, listen, we context, better yeah. muddle through to a, a break. Uh, my thanks to uh, Neve Harrigan, uh, head of sociology at uh, UCC, uh, Eamon Delaney, uh, author and uh, journalist. Thanks to both of you uh, for coming in.